Welcome along to this specially extended Christmas edition of 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. We are all paying way more than we did this time last year for our energy bills and Greg and I are going to explain how this situation was entirely avoidable because successive British governments of all colours have made the country increasingly dependent on foreign energy sources and global market forces over many years. The poorest members of society are being hit the hardest, that goes without saying, but it goes beyond that. Millions of people who go out to work for a modest income and have, say, a hundred or £150 left at the end of each month to treat their families are seeing all that money swallowed up by high energy bills and soaring inflation. Why did the government get it so wrong? And who is really pulling the strings? And with millions of people feeling the pinch this Christmas, Greg and I will be sharing our advice on how to have a very pleasant, memorable Christmas without spending a fortune. Do stay with us. Well, Greg, sometimes in life we have to endure certain hardships due to circumstance, whether in World War II there was rationing, there have been circumstances in, in the decades since where world events have led to going up for one reason or another. Why I'm particularly angry about these energy prices that we're paying at the moment and our energy bills have trebled in the space of a year is that I am very much of the view that this situation was entirely avoidable. Now, by that I mean the UK has become much less self-sufficient in meeting its energy needs in recent years. As recently as 2014, 30% of the UK's energy was supplied by coal. In the past year, that figure has dropped to about 1.7%, with only three coal-fired power stations remaining in the country, all of which are due to close by 2024. The phasing out of coal is a consequence of successive governments of all colours dogmatically following policies based on the very wobbly theory of man-made climate change, most of not only being closed down, they have been blown up, making them impossible to reopen in a crisis such as the one we're experiencing now. But even more so, Greg, even if the theory of man-made climate change was correct, which neither you or I believe it to be, and even if the UK gave up using electricity completely, it would make no difference whatsoever to CO2 emissions due to the likes of China and India continuing to build coal-fired power stations. And to put that into perspective, there are currently 1,110 operational coal plants in mainland China right now, and it's planning on building another 43. Um, so, Greg, even on that basis, this is a self-inflicted wound, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you're underestimating it, um, because figures I've seen coming out of China say there are 2,300 coal-fired power stations, and they're planning on build. They are in the process of building another one thousand one hundred and fifteen. So, whichever's right or wrong doesn't really matter. It is far more than we've ever had, mm. all added together. Mm. Also, do bear in mind that as of this week, Germany has gone back to using coal and is producing thirteen percent of its national energy in coal-fired power stations, mm. regardless of the populist mantras. Now, the other alternative is we talk of oil and gas. Well, we're told they're fossil fuels. There's no ways on God's little earth they're fossil fuels. 
there's no fossil activity from under 16,000 feet ever been discovered on this planet. Mm. But the oil we extract comes out from between 30 and 35,000 feet underground. Mm. So it's got nothing to do with fossils. It was designed back in the days of Edmund Harmer and uh, Rockefeller uh, when they were doing joint consortiums on oil, what would they call the stuff to make it sound expensive? Mm. Ooh, fossil fuel. Mm. Um, you know, it's just so much absolute bunkum. And when it comes to things like climate change, I get so angry because it's all based on populist mo computer modeling to come up with the figures that the funders of that computer model want proven. Well, you're right, Greg. And what the thing about the theory of man-made climate change is look is who is pulling the strings. And the thing people need to realise is that big business, including the oil companies and the green lobby, are ultimately on the same side if you look at who is really pulling the strings at the top of all this. But the, Greg, even if the theory was absolutely correct, even if it was all true, what we just said a moment ago about coal-fired power stations and the, how few there are here and how many there are in China, even if we just, as I said, even if we just stopped using electricity completely, it wouldn't make the slightest bit of difference. Now, I know there's an argument for saying, well, if you want other countries to change, you've got to lead by example. But look, whether what you're concerned... It doesn't happen like that. Other countries do what is expediently best for them. Well, they, they do. They do. But the, the principle of setting a good example is a good one. But the problem you've got is that here we are now. Um, the coal fire power stations have not only been closed down. But you mentioned Germany there. The difference between Germany and this country, Germany closed theirs down. We closed ours down and blew them up. Did COT A, did COT B, numerous other ones. Yeah. Germany, at least they had the wisdom to leave them be. So when a situation like the current one arose, they were able to reopen them. And they've done exactly that. We do not have that option. We were left vulnerable. Even if somebody managed to persuade me, whether I was a left-wing prime minister or a right-wing prime minister, if somebody said to me, you've got to move away from coal, I would say, OK, but every kilowatt that is lost through coal has to be replaced by a domestic supply of something else, and that has not happened, and that has left us vulnerable. And that began years ago with Ed Miliband when he was Energy Secretary, continued through the David Cameron, Nick Clegg years, continued through Theresa May, continued through Boris Johnson with his wife Carrie helping every step of the way. Uh, Liz Truss, well, that was too brief to make any kind of comment, and it's continuing now with Rishi Sunak. This is gross, self-inflicted stupidity by our leaders of all colours. Oh, I totally agree with you. And the other interesting thing, if you ever come across one of these supposed leaders, ask them how much CO2 there is in the atmosphere. Mm. I guarantee they won't have a bloody clue. Mm. And when you look, actually start looking at the amount of CO2 in our atmosphere, it is minuscule, tiny, weeny amount. It's less CO2 in the atmosphere then there is argon or helium. We haven't a clue what CO2 does other than provide all of the needs of plants. Mm. And without the 
0.04% of our atmosphere that is CO2, 0.04%. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Without that, all plant life dies. Mm. And if all plant life dies, so do we. The, the, well, that's absolutely correct. And to, to move the argument on then to nuclear, now this is another the, the crazy direction this country has gone in. It's complete lunacy. This. Listen to this, right? Since 1997, 11 of the country's 16 nuclear power stations have closed. And while four new nuclear power stations are being developed, only one is currently under construction. That's Hinkley Point C. None of the new ones are due to begin generation until at least 2026. So our nuclear capability in terms of power has shrunk massively since 1997 and been replaced by what? Nothing much in particular. Again, leaving us vulnerable in terms of energy supplies. Like on a typical day, around 50% of the UK's energy needs are now made, met through gas. About half of the UK's gas comes from the North Sea. A third is sourced from Norway. The rest is made up of imports of liquefied natural gas transported to the, the UK by sea from countries such as Qatar. We know all about their human rights record and the USA. We're not as dependent. You know about theirs too. Well, yes. We're not anything like as dependent on Russia as certain other countries. But the point being, Greg, um, OK, the situation in terms of market prices has calmed down in, in the last couple of months. But the reason it shot up so much, the situation in Ukraine meant there was more demand on uh, gas from elsewhere. Plus, world economies picking up as pandemic restrictions are, are, are loosened. But the point being, Greg, I don't want to get bogged down in a discussion about that particularly. What I am saying is not only with the closure of our coal fired power uh, plants, nuclear power stations have largely closed as well. This has left us incredibly vulnerable. And wind power, the big problem with wind power, we've just gone through a very uh, cold spell that came to an end last weekend. For the week or so before that, it was very cold indeed. One of the big problems when it's that cold is that very often it's just not that windy. It goes flat calm. Hmm. And interestingly, we're likely to be in line for another really cold period uh, because the temperature in Denver, Colorado, um, yesterday was minus 35. Mm. And in Casper, Wyoming, last night, the temperature was minus 45. Mm. And yeah. that's coming this way. And Brighton... Biden was in the Oval Office this afternoon saying he has sent all his staff home for Christmas because if they don't get out of Washington today, they won't get out till after Christmas. Mm. Mm. And when we talk of CO2, France, Poland, Italy, Turkey, United Kingdom, Australia, South Africa, Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia each account for 1% of the total, yes. 1%. Mm. India mm. is 7%, Russia is 5%, the United States is 16%, and mm. China is 29%. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm sick of our politicians not having a clue what they're bloody well talking about. Yeah, well, you, you share my anger on this because I'm furious about it because the consequences of this are huge. 
because if you've got less money in your pocket, well, I'm seeing it as I was getting ready for Christmas. The theatres, the cinemas, the restaurants, people are cutting back on those sorts of treats. And then that has consequences for them because they're making less money. They're paying less tax. They're paying VAT receipts go down. The knock on effects in terms of the economy and people going out and spending money is enormous due to this self-inflicted wound, isn't it? Um, terrifying, especially when you think that um, how vulnerable it makes us. You notice all the Marxist union leaders at the moment who are trying to bring the government to its knees for their own personal profit. But at the end of the day, this is the biggest single fraud ever perpetrated on mankind. Mm. Mm. Undeniably the biggest fraud. We are being ripped off by our own politicians because of the flaccid stupidity of the idiots, not knowing what the hell they're talking about. Well, we have well, these low-grade people sitting around in Parliament pontificating. They haven't a clue what they're doing. But Greg, even if I was the world's biggest green zealot, even if I bought into man-made ch climate change completely and said, yes, we're going to do everything we can to be as green as possible and everything like that, even if you could do that to me, I would still say, if I was in charge of this country, OK, but every kilowatt that we lose in coal or any, any other dirty means for that, maybe you want to call it dirty energy, call it what you will, fossil fuel, every last kilowatt will have to be replaced by a domestic source before we close it down. To me, that is just common sense. And what I'm wondering, Greg, I try and avoid conspiracy theories where I can, but the stupidity of this from both Labour, Conservative, and the coalition when the Lib Dems were involved with the Conservatives. They're all at it. Why are they doing this? And who is really pulling the strings in all this? Because they're certainly not acting on behalf of ordinary British people. The World Economic Forum is pulling the strings. Mm. It's working through the United Nations. And interestingly, as of April the 1st, um, Bill Gates's mate, uh, what's his name, Fuller, isn't it? Um, or something like that, who was the chairman of uh, Velcom Trust, is taking over as um, the world head of the World Health Organization. So that's going to be totally untrustworthy as well. Mm. And basically, it is a conspiracy to destroy modern society because every single benefit that has come to health, transport, well-being, living longer. Don't forget in 1909, when the Pensions Act was brought in, the life expectancy of a male Caucasian in the British society was 46 years of age. Hmm. Now it's 82. That's because of oil specifically. Hmm. And... On top of that, we are now seeing the problems that are in the health service, which are completely insoluble, believe it or not, mm. for the simple reason that when the health service was set up with its method of funding, it was set up to really be of use to people when they got to age 60. And bear in mind that almost all people died by the time they were 65. Mm. 
That was when I was born in 1946-47. And it's changed now. They don't die at 65. They die at 82. Mm. How the hell are we supposed to fill in that gap? Well, well, Greg, no, let's, let, let's go back to where you were, because this, this is an important point about the World Economic Forum and the, who's really pulling the strings and all this. Because, uh, as I say, I find it very hard to believe that any government would be that stupid to deliberately make us dependent on foreign um, energy sources to the extent that Britain has. Why have they been that stupid and who is really pulling the strings? Um, now, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, the Conservative Party has no grassroots membership. It is reliant on donations from very wealthy individuals and companies to keep itself alive. They're not doing it for fun. They're doing it because they want influence over government policy. And with that thought in mind, that might explain why the Conservative Party behaves the way it does in particular. So we've talked about the World Economic Forum and who could be pulling the strings here. But the impact of these energy price rises is bad enough for domestic customers, but the way it affects theatres, cinemas, restaurants, those little cafes you go to, family-run businesses, the sort of bookshop you ran for many years, if you're seeing your energy bills treble and they're the sorts of rises you are seeing in the business sector, this is going to be utterly devastating for small and medium-sized businesses. It's non-sustainable, quite literally. Mm. And And is that what the government wants? It's what they painted us into. Yep. And they um, must have seen this coming. Is this what the government wants? Is this what the World Economic Forum wants? The destruction I, of small and medium-sized business? Because I try and avoid conspiracies, Greg. But to me, this self-inflicted wound looks so damn stupid, I can't look beyond conspiracies. There are conspiracies and there are conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. I have never been a follower of conspiracy theories, but when I see an obvious conspiracy... I mark it down to the fact that if you've never seen a conspiracy, you obviously have never been in a school playground Mm. because the world is beset with conspiracies in one direction or another. Mm. But when you see world economic leaders, the Bezoses, the Bill Gates and the like, conspiring together, I think that's what's called a conspiracy. Mm. And when you see an organisation like the World Economic Forum, which was never elected, it came into being because somebody had a bright idea. And Klaus Schwab is its lifetime chairman, never been elected to anything, who pays himself half a million a year salary in line with the head of the United Nations, whose salary is he links to who has bought a huge amount of property in his name Mm. through the World Economic Forum in Geneva. So they own property, land, etc. in Geneva. Mm. Klaus Schwab is the lifetime chairman. His mother was a Rothschild. His father was German SS general. He's now 83 and he's still calling the shots. Mm. I think you have to concede that there is a conspiracy, especially when you discover that he's related to Greta Thunberg and she is merely a mouthpiece for him. She is accompanied at all times by a member of the World Economic Forum staff who writes her speeches for her. 
her father, who is a bit actor on occasions, who is worth about five million as a result of his daughter, you start to look around at who's pulling all these strings. And when you discover that her father is, his first name is Svante, and he is named after his great-great-great-grandfather, Svante Ahoysen, who was a member of the Nobel Committee, who granted himself a Nobel Prize for discovering the term global warming, and in 1903, defining exactly how much carbon dioxide there was in the atmosphere. What with a crystal ball? Because you couldn't measure it. Well, well okay, okay, Greg, you've, you've made quite a good point there in terms of how when you join the dots together, it all becomes a bit clearer. Uh, in terms of Greta Thunberg, um, what, what I think is particularly revolting about that is you've got a very young girl who clearly has significant health problems. Uh, it's very hard to criticise somebody when you see a young, innocent girl who's been manipulated like that. It's very hard to criticise without being made to look like a monster yourself. And I think they chose, yeah, and I, they've chosen her deliberately for that reason. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, when you can see the Conservative, Labour, Lib Dem parties in this country over the course of the last 15 years have all gone down this direction that has led to this situation, it is complete madness on the surface, but then you look at it and you can see, hang on, this is an attempt to make small and medium-sized business less viable, to make individuals and families less independent, and it acts in the interests of corporatism. That's the only logical conclusion one can reach. Now, in terms of going, of going beyond business now to families and individuals, and it goes without saying that the low earners are the worst affected by the, um, the energy price rises that we've seen. They're going to get wiped out. Yes, but it goes, beyond, it, it goes beyond that now, Greg. Yes, you're quite right. It, they will be wiped out in, in that term. But it also impacts people who are just about getting along in life, the people who go out to work, they earn a modest wage. The end of each month, they've got £100 or £150 left over to go for a nice meal or to treat the kids or to give the family a nice Christmas or to have a holiday in the summer. That £100, £150 is now going on energy bills and uh, not only is it bad for them because they're still working hard and they're still getting paid and they're seeing that extra money wiped out, but it's bad for where they then spend that money. This is a lose-lose situation. On every count, mm. without a doubt. Mm. We have a population now that in about 1810 topped 1 billion. In 1927, topped 2 billion. And in the last month topped eight billion yeah the world is changing at a hell of a rate mm. now we're in a position where in theory we're not allowed to own cars that run on oil of any description post 19 uh, sorry 2030 well that's all very well what are they going to run on mm. there's 36 million cars in britain that have to be replaced with electric. You have to excavate 9,000 tonnes of the Earth's surface to make the battery for one car, which is utterly dependent on slave and child labour in Africa. Absolutely spot on, Greg. I think we've touched on this in past podcasts, but the whole presumption about um, uh, getting people onto public transport and everything like it, 
is ludicrous in many ways because to take my own city of Cardiff and I know the same thing's happening up and down Britain in other cities where people live. For example, to the east of Cardiff, east of Heath and Lanishan, um, beyond that, there are no train lines. And I know they've got this tram system and this metro system they want to put in place. That's going to be some years away. In terms of the buses, they're pretty much at capacity at morning and evening rush hour. And the, the congestion is already chock-a-block, but also the buses are unreliable. If you do the sort of job where is it, it is important that you turn up on time, you have to rely on a car. They say, oh, you can cycle. Can you please tell me what sort of a job it is you do where it's it's appropriate to turn up to work soaked through to the bone because you've been cycling in the rain or in the summer needing a shower when you get to work because you're hot and sweaty. And also if you've got equipment, whether it's a laptop or medical equipment you take with you to work, where on earth you're supposed to put that on your bicycle? Come on, if you want to get people on the public transport, at least provide it in a reliable and sustainable way. And we are a very, very long way from that, Greg. Marcus, they don't want you on public transport. Where do they want me? They they don't want you travelling. Everything Mm. you need, you will be controlled to 15 minutes from your house. Everything. Mm. Now, I I know there's been a lot... Your schools, your medical facilities, your shops, your job will have to be within 15 minutes of where you live. Mm. And we see it now just starting in Oxford, Bristol and Manchester. I, I was about to mention Oxford. That's what I was going with this. Oxford has is forming into six regions and you will not be allowed to travel by car between those regions more than twice a week. Yeah, there, there has been a lot of misreporting on that in on social media and on certain news outlets that you shouldn't really trust. But it does, see, it does feel like the beginnings of something, is how I would put it, Greg. It is slowly they're going to screw this down for mm-hmm. the simple reason they haven't got enough lithium to make batteries for the 36 million cars in this country alone. They haven't got enough copper on the planet to make the windings and the wiring loom of 36 million electric cars. Mm. And what the hell are they going to do for the other 400 million cars in the rest of Europe? Mm. Yes, quite, quite. It is just a non-starter. So obviously, somebody with a pen and paper... And on the back of a fag packet, will have worked out that it can't be done. No wonder the civil service is so desperate to hang on to its ladder of jobs and wanted us to stay in Europe for its security, not ours. They don't give a shove about us. Yeah, well, that, that much is clear. And I do wish that people, I'm not saying the Labour Party is the answer to our problems. I don't believe that for a second. And in fact, it was... You're Marxism. Well, La- Labour under Ed Miliband, um, when he was Energy Secretary, started a lot of these problems out and no government since has tried to put it right. What I am saying is I do wish people um, who have a sort of... Uh, small state, family orientated, law and order, personal responsibility, outlook on life, just to please fall out of love with the Conservative Party because they are no friends of yours. That much is clear. Um, But Greg, we're going a little bit over time. I don't particularly mind because I think I've got one important point to make 
and we're changing tack a little bit here now, but we're now into Christmas Eve. And this is something important. I've just talked about how the low earners are really, really in a bad way because of these energy bills and higher inflation in general, but also those who have 100 or 150 pounds left over to treat themselves on a normal month, which is millions of people are like that once they've paid all their bills. But all that money is now going on energy bills and is being swallowed up by high inflation. Christmas is pretty much upon us now. And I think advice you've been on this earth a lot longer than I have to try and make it a pleasant Christmas for these people and what I would say Greg I'm going to say two things I'm going to let you in I'm going to let you speak in a little bit of depth if you want to I'm going to tell two little anecdotes if I may um, years ago um, a church I used to go to when I lived on the other side of Cardiff that there was a routine on Christmas morning where the priest quite a charismatic younger man would say to the children can you just gather in a semicircle around the front and they gather around and then he would say what have you had for Christmas? What, what did Father Christmas bring you? And all their hands would shoot up. They couldn't wait to tell him. And it would be games, consoles, dolls, houses, footballs, you name it. And he'd say, okay, very nice. And, the, and they, he'd point at them and they'd tell him and it, it, they'd love telling him. Then he would say, okay, put your hands down. What did you get last Christmas? No hands shot up this time. A few would cautiously put their hands up. And they could just about remember and they would tell him. And then he would say, okay, what did you have two Christmases ago, and not one hand would go up, and then he would turn to the wider congregation and say, anyone else want to answer that? Any adults want to answer that? Occasionally, you get someone say, yeah, my fiancé proposed to me at the top of the Empire State Building in New York, but for the most part, people can't remember. And why I'm telling that anecdote now, Greg, is that this is a reminder, really, that what we remember from Christmases past are the people we were with, family members who won't be around forever, our friends, cosy nights in front of the fire, that sort of thing. And that ultimately matters far more than material gifts. So if you're not in a position to spend much money, do bear that in mind. All this, the gifts that seem so important now won't even matter that much in a few months' time, let alone next Christmas to Christmas after or many years from now. That's point one. The second point is it's managing children's expectations. That's a difficult one. And there is a way around this that I read the other day, and, and I think this does work, Greg. If you were to sit your children down and say, look, we're going to do things a little bit differently this year because we have to, and also Santa's going to do things a little bit differently, sit down with a pen and paper and say, what would you like to make this a special Christmas? The answers might surprise you because the answers you might well get are things like, I'd like us to bake a cake together. Or I'd like us to have a movie night, all of us sat down under our blankets with the lights out watching a movie. I'd like all of us as a family to go to the play park together. And, or I'd like us all to go for a walk in the dark looking at the Christmas lights with our torches. Now, these are all simple things that cost very little money. And yet, if you ask a child what they want, they might well say things like that. So you can still have a lovely Christmas, Greg, without spending a fortune. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, I agree with you entirely. I can't remember any of my my Christmas presents mm. from when I was a child. Mm. I, I can only remember a few, and I couldn't tell you what year they were. What I can remember is the, the better times with, you know, family members who are no longer around. That's the mm. stuff that really matters, isn't it? Mm, yeah, uh, though I had a, a, a particularly fractured family because my parents were invariably out of the country. Yes, you, you had a, a different upbringing in that sense. But the point being, Greg, if you ask a child those questions, what would you like to do? And you get very simple answers that are going to cost you very little money. 
you can still have a really good time of things because you haven't got much money, but you can still have a really good time of things, all of you together as a family, taking pleasure in simple things, and it can still be a lovely Christmas and New Year period. No, I agree with you. Mm. And the one thing I never wanted when I was a child was sprouts with Christmas lunch. You love them now, though, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I know I'm going off topic. I don't care. It's Christmas now. The reason a lot of people don't like sprouts, there's one very, very simple reason. They overcook them. You ought to yeah. leave a little bit of bite. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That, that's where they go wrong. Well, Greg, it's been an interesting discussion. I tried to end on a, on a cheery note, and I think it's best to do that. And I, I hope everyone listening to this has a very pleasant Christmas, and I wish everybody all the best for the new year. I'm sure Greg will echo those thoughts as well. I think we're going to have a very difficult year, so gird your loins and be prepared. Indeed, indeed. But do enjoy the festive period. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the company of your friends as well. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks to all of you for listening throughout the year. Thanks for all the feedback we've had. And from Greg and from me, Merry Christmas and goodbye. Merry Christmas.